decided that our theme would be the gospel. Live the gospel, preach the gospel, advance the gospel. We're going to talk about what that means over the next little while. But today we're going we're to talk about the gospel and, and what is it. The word gospel appears in the New Testament just over a hundred times. And it's important. It matters. It's kind of everything. Uh, one of those times, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul, of course, is speaking to the Romans. Paul the Apostle wrote this book, and he's, he's writing to the Romans, and this is what he says. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what does that mean? What is, what is he saying here? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is this gospel, this theme, this thing that is written in the New Testament? As we do this series of messages about the gospel, we're going to find out. We're going we're to talk about what the gospel is, what it means to live and preach and advance the gospel. But what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the most important message in the world's best-selling book of all time, the Bible. Of all the things that are written in here, and that's pretty thick, that's a thick one. It's got some uh, extra commentary. But of all the things that are written in here, the most important message in this best-selling book of all time is the gospel. So we obviously should know what it is. This message of the gospel is a life-changing message, a destiny-affecting message, an eternity-altering message. The Bible tells us we're lost if we don't obey it, we're cursed if we don't preach it, and we're commanded to go and teach it the bible tells us that satan fought it the disciples brought it and jesus died for this gospel we could say the gospel is the entirety of this book we could say the gospel is the entire bible we could say the gospel is all of god's word we we could say that specifically the gospel actually means good news. So there's your answer. Write it down. Now you can go home. You know what it is. The gospel is, is the good news. So, so what good news is that? We hear good news all the time. Not so much these days, but, but there's good news all the time. Babies being born, people falling in love. Remember when we were in love? <laughs> good news all the time. People getting jobs. Technically, we could say the gospel is, is the entire New Testament. But actually, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are referred to and known as the gospels. Here is why. Because the gospel is the good news, and really, Jesus coming, or the life of Christ, is the good news. The good news is the song we just sang. Jesus came and died. So technically we could say the entire New Testament is the gospel, but really the first four books 
and really when we boil it down, really the life of Christ and kind of one part of his life, the end. The gospel, if we're getting really specific, it's the good news, but it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I I thought as we sang this morning, one of the the first songs says, I've been buried. And I, I thought to myself, if you're not a church person, you're thinking, buried? What kind of church is this? We just bury people? Well, the word burial is that reference refers to baptism. But really, the gospel is the good news. The fact that Jesus came, he was died, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Why is that the good news? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was good news for Jesus. Jesus' mother Mary probably didn't think that was good news either. My son dying, that doesn't sound like good news to me. But it's because it's God's salvation plan. It's, it's because humanity was lost way back our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, lived in paradise. All the food they could want, grow. They were naked. It was good times. And they could do anything they wanted except eat from one tree out of all the trees and all the fruit and all the vegetables. There was one tree they couldn't eat of. Guess what tree they ate out of? The one tree they couldn't. Doesn't that describe humanity, really? We can do anything we want, but we want to do the things that we're not supposed to do. Anybody have kids? You know that. You can give them toys, but they're not allowed to go in the cupboard. They're going to go in the cupboard. It, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you give them to eat. They want something else. That's kids and sometimes your husband. But we understand. We understand. And so because that happened, humanity was lost. They were born in sin. We were, we were born with what the Bible calls a, a fallen nature or a carnal nature. So that's why today we want all the things that are bad for us. We want to do all the things we're not supposed to do, have all the things we're not supposed to have, and everything that is bad for us. But his death, burial, and resurrection came to take care of not just our sin, but our fallen nature. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4, Paul again summarizes it and puts it very, very clearly. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I have preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand. We can talk about what all that means, but this is the part I want you to get. Verse 2, by which also ye are saved. So it's a pretty important message if the gospel is what saves us. But which ye also are saved if ye keep in memory that which I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And then he's going to give a description of the gospel. So you know I'm not just making this stuff up. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we're saved by this gospel. We're saved by this fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Now, now we're going to talk about exactly how that all came, came about. I think i got a loose connection here. Not in my head, but on, on my head. <laughs> there might be one loose in my head, too. But um, the gospel is God's 
plan of salvation. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a plan sort of guy. I like plans. I like planning. I like planning trips. I like planning trips to warm places in February, which we can't go this year. I like building stuff and planning. We're working on a building right now. You know, sometimes I get a little weary, but I just, I like plans. So God looked at the mess that the world was in. God looked at fallen humanity, and he had a plan. Here's the plan. It involves death, burial. Doesn't sound so good so far. Resurrection, I can get behind that. That involves, but how in the world does Jesus dying, Jesus being buried, and Jesus rising from the grave have anything to do with us? Good for him. Glad he's not dead anymore. But how does that help us? Well, we're going to talk about that. But that is the good news. The good news is that Jesus died. Now, now don't misunderstand me. It's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, personally, uh, we don't have crucifixes with Jesus on a cross on it. He ain't there no more. Right? I, I'm glad he did that. I'm glad Jesus died. But if he was still on the cross, we'd still be sinners. Right? Technically, if we were going to have something hanging on our wall, it should be a picture of a tomb. Because that's the sign of the resurrection. That's, that's the end. He, he died and was buried. That's sad. The good news is he didn't stay there. Right? But it would look kind of weird to have a tomb hanging around your neck. I don't even know how you would do that. If somebody invents that, you might be wealthy or not. I'm not sure anyone would buy that. But we buy, we buy the symbol of what it means, the cross means. The, the, the cross is, was not good news for Jesus. He, he, he was tortured severely. I, I once, and I have somewhere in my notes, I have a, a copy of a, a metal, medical examiner's report on Jesus' death. All the things that he would have gone through when he died. All the things that he, he would have felt from, from the severe beating of the whip to the nails piercing his hands, which when they say hand, it actually went through right here. And one of the things I'll never forget, there's a, there's a nerve in here. Have anyone ever hit their funny bone? Right, some of you don't have funny bones. I know you don't laugh at my jokes. But um, when, when that nail pierced just below his palm, it, it, it would have hit that nerve and he would have, had that constant sensation or feeling of if he had hit his funny bone, that almost like a pinched nerve, but more pierced, obviously. The fact that his back was wide open because they had beat him 39 times, and as his feet were nailed to the base of that cross, the, the thing with crucifixion, it was, it was really just nails, hanging a man on a cross the nails in your hands and your feet would not kill you it's you anyone ever step on a nail are you still here yeah doesn't kill you right it's it was suffocation what would happen is is that in order to breathe you would have to push yourself up on that nail that was pierced through your feet of course the pain with Jesus it was it was added pain because of the the, the wounds in his back. His back was literally almost wide open because he was beaten so much. Um, and what would happen is his people would just get so tired 
and so drained they couldn't push themselves up anymore. That's the good news. A little strange, isn't it? But the good news is, because he died, we can live. Because he died for our sins, we can be free from our sins. Because he died and was buried and rose again, we can have new life. We don't, we don't have to live bound by our sins. You see, he came, he died, he rose again, and now we can be saved I, I understand it, but I don't fully understand it. If I was God, I would have put a different plan in place myself. But basically, the entire Old Testament is life before the Gospel, and the New Testament is life after the Gospel. And so when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Now, Christianity wasn't as popular that might be the wrong word to say as it is today. It wasn't as well known necessarily. But when Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what Paul was saying was, is that I can't do this on my own. You see, there were many religions in the world at that time. The main one was Judaism. He was saying is, I can't, I can't live this life by just following all the Jewish laws. By following the Ten Commandments. Anyone ever heard of those? We know the, we know the top ten. David Letterman's top ten. Moses' top ten. God's top ten. But when God gave the commandments to Israel, there were actually 619. Anyone don't know those? There were 619, somewhere around there, laws that they had to follow. Paul was saying, I can't put my trust in myself to follow all these laws in order to be saved he was saying, I can't do it on my own. I can't save myself. I can't keep all the laws. I need something. I need someone. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I put my trust in the gospel when the whole world, the Jews, were putting their trust in a set of laws and traditions. Paul was saying, I put my trust in Jesus Christ that he can save me. When the heathen world was putting their trust in all their false gods, and all their false religions, Paul was saying, I put my trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Because here's the thing. We can't do it on our own. That's kind of the whole thing with humanity, though, isn't it? We want to do it on our own. We're, we're actually encouraged to do it on our own. We're actually told to do things like pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, which I, I don't even know how that could be possible. We, we actually praise people who, who do things on their own without the help of anyone else. We, we, we think that independence is some sort of great goal to be achieved and people that can, can do everything on their own are great. But when it comes to salvation, you see, you might be able to build a house on your own. You might be able to advance in your career on your own through hard work and intelligence. But you can't save yourself. We can't take care of our own sin. We can't take care of our own carnal, fallen nature. That's why humanity is self-destructive. We lean towards and steer towards and drive towards the things that will destroy us, destroy our relationships, destroy our reputation. Why, why do you think the devil offers a, a whole playlist of addictions and fun that 
that's going to destroy your life. That, that doesn't do anything for anyone except give them maybe a, a temporary relief. The Bible actually says there is pleasure in sin for a season. The devil's not stupid. He made sure sin was going to be a good time. Right? If you're not enjoying your sinful life, you're doing it wrong. We're supposed to enjoy sin. It's meant to be enjoyable. All the things that are forbidden and destructive. But eventually, of course, it's not enjoyable. Those addictions destroy your health. Maybe relationships. Those flirtations and affairs, of course. We know what they do. All of these things are meant to destroy humanity. And it's the things we're drawn to because of our fallen nature. Paul says, I can't do it without the gospel. I can't do it without Jesus Christ. And if there was ever a day the world needed to hear the message, if you're going to preach anything, if you're going to say, let them know the good news, let them know that Jesus Christ has taken care of sin so that we can live free from it, let, let them know that the world needs Jesus. Paul was saying, hey, I don't know what you're doing, world, but I'll tell you this, I'm not ashamed to trust in Jesus. I'm not ashamed to, to trust in what he did. I know that he is the answer. You see, Paul lived in the days of, well, I guess they were before his time, but they were popular, the Greek philosophers. But he knew philosophy was not the answer and education was not the answer and that he couldn't work hard enough or do good enough or be good enough or have enough information to save himself. What Paul was saying is, no matter what anyone thinks, no matter what anyone does to me, you see, understand, if, if, you, if you read the New Testament, Paul went through some horrific things. He was saying, they can torture me for my beliefs. They can kill me if they want to. But no matter what they say about me, no matter what they say about Christ, uh, no matter how they treated him, no matter how they treat me, I'm not ashamed of it. I know he's the answer. How does Paul know? You see, here's the thing. Paul lived in a, in a heathen time. He was talking to the Romans. If you want to read life during those days, I mean, some of the, the things that were done were just unbelievable but if the heathen weren't going to be ashamed of their heathenness if the heathen weren't going to be ashamed of their filth and their sin and their crime and their hate he was not going to be ashamed of the gospel you know today you can go on social media and you can see hate and you can see all kinds of filth and all kinds of sin and debauchery you can see it all People aren't afraid to brag about their sinful lifestyles. People aren't afraid even to brag about their crimes and their sin. Well, we ought not to be ashamed of the gospel. If they can talk about their life, Christians ought to be able to talk about what Jesus Christ has done for us, what Jesus Christ has done for you. Amen. Paul was going to boldly declare it and bring it to the world. It didn't matter what they were all saying about their lives. He's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. They're talking about their lives and their filth and their garbage and their false gods. Paul's like, I'm not, afraid of the, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, though? He, said, he made a statement. He said, it is the power. You see, there's, there's power in the gospel. He said, it is the power of God 
You see, he knew what, what the gospel could do. He, he knew what Jesus could do. He had seen Jesus walk the earth. He had done many miracles. He knew what his message could do in people's lives. He, he had seen it change so many lives. He, he knew what he could do through Christ. He, he had seen, he had witnessed military power. The Romans were ruling over the Jews at that time. He had seen military power and religious power and political power, but he knew there was nothing like the power of God. This gospel wasn't weak. It's not just a, it's not just a word. It's not just a message. You know, it's not just, oh, I got some good news for you. Um, yeah, your car repairs aren't going to be $1,000, only going to be 500 that's, that's good news. There's no power in that message. Right? Oh, I, I got some good news. They have a, a vaccine for COVID. Oh, that, that's great. I'm, I'm happy. I really am. I'll be glad when all this is over. I don't know how much power. That's good. You know, is it powerful? I don't know. Change lives? He said this gospel... This gospel is the power of God. It's, it's not just an, another message. It's, it's not just another, hey, you know, if you, um, if you follow this road, it'll, it'll lead to the gold. It's, it's, not just, it's not just a power of positive thinking message. It's not just a, you know, think good thoughts and your life will be good message. It's a follow this book and it will change your life message it's not just a, a religion a list of rules and traditions as a as a matter of fact that's that's kind of what has happened with our world that that church has become a, a list of rules and traditions and ritual I, I grew up going to a church like that it was nothing but ritual a, an empty church full of nothing that can change your life the gospel is meant to be life changing and I've seen it I've seen it Paul has seen it there's something life changing life giving and there's no possible way to to explain it you know have you ever seen the grand canyon been there not a picture have you been there now before i went to the grand canyon honestly i thought grand canyon it's a ditch really a big one but it's a ditch it's a hole in the ground but when you're there it's beautiful man it's majestic you got all the different layers of rock and it just, it goes for miles in both directions and it's so deep. And when the sun hits it, it's just, it's awesome. Until, I, I can explain it to you, but until, until you experience it, you don't really know. And I can tell you about the gospel and I can tell you about all of this, but until you experience it, you see, that's the thing with the gospel. It's not just something to hear, it's something to experience. He said, it's the power of God. It's no ordinary power, it's the power of God. You see, the, the reason people can be healed, I, I just got a message yesterday on Facebook. My memory is so bad, I, I, I remember who she is, but I don't remember this happening. She said, do you remember I came to your church, I think it was 2014, 2015, I was baptized, I had a hearing problem, and uh, God healed me instantly. I don't remember that. Anybody here remember that? If I said her name, maybe you remember. I don't remember that. You see, that's the gospel. 
You see, because the gospel includes healing. I, I've seen people healed, and I, I've seen marriages be restored and, and lives being changed all the way around. You see, it's a, it's a powerful message. It's not just words of hope. It's not just words of comfort or, or words of peace. It's something that changes lives because the gospel is the power of God. And when you experience the gospel, you're literally experiencing the power of God. And I'm not talking about hearing about it or or reading about it. I'm talking about experiencing the gospel. And I'm talking about experiencing the power of God. You you understand that that this God who spoke the the worlds and the universes into existence in the Old Testament. I mean, he divided seas. He he raised the dead when he walked this world. He he tore down walls that were so thick. Amen. Just by people marching, he, he did amazing things. That same power of God that did all those things is in the gospel. And when you experience the gospel, you experience the power of God. Has anyone ever stuck their something in a, in a socket and got a shock before? Anyone get a shock ever? We had kids. Not all of them were that bright. But one of them decided... He, I, I don't know if we had a broken wire or lamp or something, and he cut the wire off, and he stuck two ends into the socket. But I don't know how he did it, and I, I don't remember because my memory's bad. I don't know if he got shocked or he just stripped the wires off the end, knowing that if somebody come to pull that out, they were going to get a shock. So I don't know if he got a shock doing it or someone got a shock pulling it out, but someone got a shock. I could sp- explain to you electricity all day, every day. Not very good because I'm not an electrician. But I know it's expensive because they're wiring my new building. And I know that I, I, some volts are worse than others. But if you really want to understand the power of electricity, go home, get yourself a butter knife, find the nearest socket, shove it in. All the explanations aren't necessary. There's power in that thing. Now, I don't know exactly how it works, but I was in Pakistan one time, and uh, they have different plugs and stuff over there. So I bought one of those travel adapters. But what I didn't know is, because the plugins are different, you needed also a power changer, inverter, converter, I don't know, because it's got to change it, I think, from 240 to 120. Am I right? Any electricians in the building? Okay. Well, I didn't have the, the, the power changer thing. So I plug my razor into this adapter thing, plug it into the wall, boom, darkness. The entire floor of this hotel was out of power. I did not get a shock, and my razor still worked, but no one else's razor worked. It shut everything down. Now, I can't explain all that to you, but I can tell you, I promise you, if you experience electricity, you have a greater understanding of it. So there's your homework project. And I tell you this, I can't really explain how there's power in the gospel except the Bible says there is, uh, and I've seen people experience this power of the gospel. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it because I know there's power in that. There's a lot of messages in the world there's no power in. Uh, Go home, think positive, uh, do good things, hang out with good people, make lists, do this, do that. That's all great, and those things help. And I read a lot of leadership books, and I know all the things. uh, But I can tell you something, there's power in a message uh, that says, Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. And if you put your faith and trust in him, it'll change your life. There's power in that. 
I can't, I can't explain how, how the power gets from a, from a pole to a fuse box to a plug, except it's connected by wires, and I don't even know where it comes from, some station somewhere or, or turbine. But I, I don't know how power got from the cross to the grave to the empty tomb to this book into my life, but I can tell you it did. I can tell you it did. And Paul said it's the power of God and the salvation. And I'm finishing up. I'll get the music to come back to give you all hope that I am finishing. He said it's the power of God unto salvation. If you just want to feel something, although you will, trust me you will, when you give your life to Christ. I remember the first time at 10 years old, I bowed my knee at a place similar to this, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I felt something that day. I remember that. I remember that. I can tell you you're going to feel something. But it's not about feeling. It's the power of God unto salvation. You see, it's not about feeling, it's about knowing. That when Jesus died on the cross, my sins were nailed to that cross. It's about knowing that when I bowed my knee, that he was taking my sins away. You see, of all the things that God has done, creation, I think... Creation is one of the most spectacular things. I know scientists have their own theory, but creation is pretty spectacular. Healing, that's, that's pretty amazing. Resurrection's kind of cool. Dead people coming back to life. That's pretty powerful. Devils being cast out of people, armies being defeated. Read the Old Testament, how few group of people can defeat an enemy army through the power of God. What Paul is saying, all of that, all of that power of God is right here in this gospel message. The same power of God that raised the dead. The same power of God that divided seas and fed millions of people with manna from heaven. The same power of God that destroyed enemy armies. The same power of God that said, let there be stars also. Just a few words created galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy. That same power is in here. That same power is the power that it takes to save lost humanity. You see, if you thought, you know, I'd like to have been there when he created the universes. Boom. Just stars start appearing. When plants started forming, then I'd really know if it was the chicken or the egg that came first. I would have liked to have been there. But if you think that's powerful, if you think it was powerful when, when Moses stood there and watched the sea divide, we witnessed a powerful demonstration of the gospel when we saw Jeff baptized. In Jesus' name. We, we witness a powerful demonstration of the gospel when we see one sinner repent of their sins. As a matter of fact, it's such a powerful occasion. The Bible says, and it's the only thing it says it about, the Bible says when one sinner bows their knee and gives their life to God, all of heaven rejoices. That's the power of the gospel. You see, the power of the gospel can take an abuser and a murderer. 
can take anyone and turn their life around. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I love this verse. Hence such were some of you. And such were some of you. You see, he's able to take all these people. And he said, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified by the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. In other words, the gospel can change any life. He said to everyone that believeth. Well, that's, that kind of includes everyone, doesn't it? Can this gospel really change every life? Yeah. To everyone that believeth. It's interesting for all you King James readers out there, maybe you know this. When you see the letters ETH on the end of any word in the King James, it means a continuing action. It, it could actually say believing. So it's not to anyone that believes. It's not a one-time thing. Salvation is not necessarily an event. It's those that continue to put their trust and faith in God. Those that commit to Him this continuing action. Then he says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Why does he list these two groups of people? Well, the Jews were very traditional, religious people, followed all the laws. They had their religion. In other words, he's saying it's for the religious folk. You see, it's not about religion. It's about the gospel. And he's saying it's for the Greeks. Well, they had their gods and philosophers, you know, Socrates and Plato and Zeus. They, it's, a, it's for the heathens too. So no matter who you are, if you're religious or you're a heathen, Good news, it's for you. It's powerful enough to overcome any heathen, tradition, philosophical, religious, whatever. Acts 2, 38 says this. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as the many as the Lord our God shall call. It's for everyone. So how did Paul know all this? Paul knew because he experienced. He didn't study it, although he was a very educated man. He didn't just witness it in other people. You see, Paul was a sinner saved by the gospel. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. Paul was considered a scholar, and he said he was the chief. He was the worst of the worst. That's how he knew. How did he know the gospel? How could he say the gospel was the power of God? Because when you experience it, you understand it. When you experience the gospel, you experience God's power. You experience salvation. Not only will you not be ashamed of it, you'll declare it boldly. Hey, right now, right now, if I had the cure for every kind of cancer in the world, am I going to keep it to myself? Am I going to tell the world? Or sell it to Big Pharma? No. Right? You're going to declare it. Folks, we have the answer. The gospel's the answer. The life-changing message is the answer. Jesus Christ can change any life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Let's all stand today.
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you died and you were buried and you rose again. I thank you, Lord, that you died for my sin. I thank you, Lord, that every single person, every single person that ever lived or will ever live, God can experience your salvation. God, those of us that are here right now, whether watching or in this place, God, we can experience the gospel. God, if we'll put our trust in you, if we'll give our lives to you, as Peter said, if we'll repent of our sins, be baptized in your name, you'll fill us with your spirit. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Maybe you've done it already and you need to do it again. Maybe you've already given your life to God. You've already repented of your sin. And maybe you haven't. Maybe this will be your first time. And if you're watching at home, you can pray right now. Let's pray one more time, and this is what I want us to pray. You can just repeat after me if you would like. But we're going we're gonna to give our lives to God. We're going to repent, and we're going to believe this gospel. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died and was buried and rose again. I give you my life right now. I ask you, forgive me, God, for my sin. I ask you, Lord, to take it all away. God, I repent today, and I give you my life. Lord, I want to experience this gospel. I want to experience the power of this gospel. God, in everything that it has for me. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for salvation and making a way. Where there was no way, God, I thank you. Lord, I give you praise. I give you my life. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, Jesus.